When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. Two years ago, at age 48, Scott Weiland died. It was December 2015. Recently, I found some audio from a pretty interesting conversation I had with him back in 2007. I was reporting a sort of dual cover story. On the cover, it was the anniversary of Appetite for Destruction, and inside we had a story about that. And then, because I was interviewing a lot of the remaining members of Guns N' Roses, we also did a story on the new Velvet Revolver album, which was called Libertad and turned out to be the final Velvet Revolver album. I spent time with all the guys in that band, and that included Scott Weiland. And Weiland was in a really interesting place. He seemed or told me he was sober and was really friendly, open, and sometimes incredibly dark in these interviews. Um, looking back, listening to them, I was really impressed with him. And a lot of it is pretty chilling in light of his death. He talks a lot about his own drug use. He talks about his brother's fatal drug overdose and how he wouldn't want to be like him. He talks a lot about the future and what it would be like to be an older rock star. And it kind of uh, sent chills down my body. It's intense stuff. But I think it's also worth hearing. And I also think it's a really, for once, it was Scott really presenting himself really well. I think you get a really good sense of him as a person. And he actually is really likable. Although I did witness some interesting Scott Weiland behavior during the reporting of this story, including making the entire rest of Velvet Revolver wait for him for a full hour while he finished the Clint Eastwood movie Unforgiven in his dressing room. So that was some Weiland behavior. I think he also was like six or seven hours late to his interview with me. But once he was there, super charming. Anyway, here is me and Scott Weiland in the middle of 2007. I love that country thing at the end of the record. Oh, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool, huh? It was just, uh, we did this shot, um, shoot with uh, Jim Marshall yeah. uh, at the Roxy. And um, so we we're just kind of, we also, we brought some um, acoustic guitars along with us. Um, and we sat up on the drum riser, started sort of noodling around, and uh, just kind of came up with that don't drop that dime. Right. It's just kind of like a, a little uh, phrase and sort of vamped on it. And uh, it's one of those tunes where, um, you know, the chorus is just, it's the same riff as the verse, you know, and um, you're kind of saying it over and over, all, all this kind of in harmony. And, uh, and um, oh, it's, it's one of those cool kind of uh, little ditties. I like those kind of things. Sort of lighten the, the mood of a... A record, you know. It sounds on the record like super authentic. It sounds like one of the Birds country albums. Yeah, I love uh, Graham Parsons. He's uh, he's great. He's kind of one of my favorite sort of icons. You ever want to do some stuff that's more country? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was my first uh, you know genre of music that I fell in love with because my uh, my father, my my blood father, um, was. Uh, 
you know, well, still as a huge country music fan, you know, um, uh, you know, Waylon Jennings and Johnny Cash and, uh, uh, you know, just the, the real stuff. So in the 70s, when I'd spend the summers with him, I'd fly out from Cleveland, um, you know, he had eight-track tapes, and I remember we'd go out uh, camping and drive from, um, from the Bay Area up to Northern California and listen to Jerry Jeff Walker and, you know, that stuff and uh and kind of fell in love with it as a kid um so you know there's been some songs throughout my career that have kind of <clears throat> had little tinges of that yeah. uh you know in with stp like even even creep hmm. uh, had sort of that country kind of feeling it was definitely uh, in a moody sort of way but um uh, i know what you mean on the chorus maybe and the, yeah and the forward uh, yesterday Makes me wanna stay. Right. What you say is real. Makes me wanna stay. Living on the house, guessing living on a mouse. Um, take time with a wounded hand, cause I like to steal. Um, and then on my uh, next solo record, there's uh, this song that I wrote about. Um, my uh my dad um because we kind of uh lost um touch uh mm. since um uh, really from high school on until just in the last uh, couple of years called the man i didn't know which is um definitely a uh a sort of haunting um daniel lenoir-esque kind of country yeah tune. I saw that. I saw the show actually. I really I saw it at that when uh, when Len Wap played with you. I remember saw the show. I remember that. that was, so I was like, wow, we got him in the band. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There were some great shows, and there were some shows where uh, uh, I think I was on another dimension. And uh, um, but there there were there were definitely a few that were pretty pretty fucking cool. Then there were a few where I had to exit the stage and vomit and behind the amps. Mine was Jones Beach, which I think probably was the day before. Uh, oh, before the, yeah. yeah, that was not the the, yeah. the the radio shows were were not the um, were not the the greatest uh, venues to to see that band though. You yeah, know, it yeah, was yeah. not the greatest sort of. You know, we had ju this was a new band, you right, know, it, right. just sort of coming together and sort of feeling itself out, like you know. I think uh, a couple of our best shows were at places like the 930 Club and places like that. Yeah. How distant does all that stuff feel to you? It feels like a whole life away, yeah. actually. Um, it's weird, you know, um, you know I, I have, uh, you know, my kids and um, and when I go on tour now, I live for that, that mo those moments on stage um, when, uh, you know, I get completely release everything and and uh sort of escape from what my my entire life is about uh but the rest of the time for the most part um it's real difficult to be away from my kids you know yeah. and and uh and my wife um before when i was uh you know um sort of trapped in that mode all i was doing really was i was running from um the responsibilities of just uh of, of being a father and of being a husband and uh, and that's really what I wanted the most was was to you know be um, 
to finally be a man, but it was so hard to to sort of take that step, you know, um, well, to begin that, uh, that 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 journey. Um, you know, I I don't I don't know. Uh, I it was like, uh, and I've said this before, but I felt like I was trapped in this eternal Peter Pan complex, you know, and uh, and I really kind of think that that you know being in a in a band, um, especially once you become uh, you know a, a celebrity or whatever, uh, that it sort of uh, enables you to to stay in that mode, sure, yeah. you know, um, not to accept responsibility for your actions and that, and, uh, and if you're making money, um, it's, uh, um, you know, for other people, it, uh, you know, why not, you know, I mean, right. rock stars are, you know, expected to, to, you know, fuck up in that, and, um, which is cool, you know, it's, uh, there's certain parts that I don't regret anything really I did, except for, except for the, uh, emotional injury that I caused other people. You know, yeah. so uh, I mean that really came crashing through when when my brother died. Yeah. Um you know seeing the reality and the finality of of it all. Um and then uh and how crushed uh you know crushed I was and how crushed my, my mother and my father were. Um his uh you know it's a they they had to deal with that on a <clears throat> on a daily basis, so uh, you know, just the fear of, uh, of you know, the potential fear of of, uh, of that happening to either one of us um, for years, you know, and and my wife as well, you know, um, thinking that at any time that could you know happen to the father of um, you know of, of children, you know, but when that happened to my brother, it was uh, it all seemed horrifically real. Hmm. Like it could have been here. Um, well, yeah, you know, you know, I, I always got kind of seen. It, I always kind of felt that I was um, unbreakable, you know, um, like I was a cockroach or something, you know. That uh, I, that I just, I could, you know, outlive a an atomic bomb. Um, but uh, you know, when I went, when I got the call that, that a friend of my brother's had found him um, dead. Uh, and then I had to come over there because the police were there, and I saw him lying on his bed. Uh, it, Jesus! It, um, and I had to identify his body. It, uh, you know, and he had gone through, you know, and lived through as many, uh, you know. The same sort of situations that I had, um, you know, he got through ODs, lived through ODs, uh, you know, been busted and made it through uh, numerous arrests without going to prison, and um, and you know, there it was. It was final. So uh, you know, you can't get any more real than that. You know. We hung together always, um, you know before we started using then while we were using and then um for the last like four years once uh you know i kind of um started getting clean um and he started struggling you know i kind of distanced myself and uh you know he really tried to h hang with me but uh i, I had a hard time 
understanding why uh, he, and it sounds judgmental, but um, with everything he was facing, um, you know, legally and the divorce with his wife that she was going through, which was the same situation that I was in at the time when I ended up kicking drugs, um, why he couldn't kind of get it together. So it put a wedge between us. Um, you know, the last month before he died, we ended up uh, fixing our relationship and hanging out again. He was with uh, me all through Christmas time, and then, um, you know, and since then, uh, you know, which was always kind of his wish, is like, you know, why can't our kids be closer? And now they now they have, and have set up a trust um, for them, and uh, done a, a benefit them, and, and tend to to do more is a, uh, you know, they're not quite on the same, quite as fortunate, you know, and uh, right. do everything I can to help them, you know, the education and whatever I can do. Um, yeah, it's probably the, uh, definitely the heaviest thing that's ever happened to me in my life. I mean, I, I've never, besides my, my grandmother dying, um, you know, just, you know, she had lived a full life, I've never lost anyone close to me before. So you're listening to Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm Brian Hyatt, and that's me and the late Scott Weiland talking in the year 2007. We'll be right back with a lot more from that conversation. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. We've been playing some unearthed 2007 audio from my conversation with Scott Weiland just before the release of what turned out to be the final Velvet Revolver album, Libertad. And it's a pretty interesting conversation. Here's more from it. You said that you, you can't uh, really imagine doing this in a few more years. Is that, is that really how you feel, that, that you're kind of done with the whole stage rocking, touring thing at this point? Well, what I can't imagine doing is... Um, I can't imagine doing what, uh, you know, Steven Tyler does or uh, Mick Jagger does or, uh, you know, I can't imagine being in my in my 40s and, um, you know, shaking my ass on stage and, and uh, you know, trying to pretend like I'm something that I'm not anymore. You know, I feel like that part of this uh, <clears throat> rock and roll journey is nearing its end and... Uh, it's uh, coming time uh, for the next phase. I'll always make records because that's what this is about for me. It's writing songs and making records. It's uh, that's what I get off on the most. You know, I mean, that's where the art is. So my studio, which I have for nine years, is is a place that I. It's. I mean, I would do it if I didn't make money. You know, it would be. It would be a hobby, right. you know. Uh, but I go there and I, I, I write and I record songs and I experiment and, and I would love to, just, uh, be able to be in that place where I could write the kind of music that I want to write without having to worry about uh, selling, three, 
four million records and um, right. recouping um, right. and all that, you know, and, and I'd, I'd love to be able to tour without having to worry about uh, filling arenas and um, sheds and, and that, you know. Um, it's been 17 years now of, of that, and it, that kind of wears on you, you yeah. know. It, uh, it's a lot of stress, and um, I would just like to make music and uh, put out records and um, tour when I'd like to tour, and if I, you know, play theaters and, you know, do, you know, in certain cities, uh, do, you know, two, three, four nights or something, you know, uh, if that was what happened, and uh, that's, you know, kind of how I see things, you know, and... Uh, so why are you still doing this now? Um, you know why? Because right now it's still fun. Right now it's still fun. There's still this thing that uh, I get out of um, that uh, gang-like camaraderie, um, that dysfunctional camaraderie of being in a rock and roll band. Uh, um, you know, knowing that anything can happen at any time, I guess. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of stress, um, you know, but, uh, it's definitely not for the, the weak hearted, you know, um, but it's also a young man's game too, you know, um, the problem is, is that not many people can do it for a career. You know, there's, I don't think it's made, I don't think that, uh, unfortunately, I don't think rock and roll is, um, is a career sport any longer. Mm. Uh, it doesn't seem to be. I mean, the, the, the last band that is, has come out that, uh, in the last few years that seems to be, to really have a, a career, comes to mind is um, the White Stripes, really. Sure, yeah. You know? Yeah. It seems to be on the path of having uh, some sort of legendary status at right. some point. <clears throat> Most like I was looking on the wall in your studio and you have, you know, a six, a, a plaque with six platinum records. Nobody really, <laughs> nobody right. gets a plaque with six platinum records anymore. Yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 I think that's kind of impossible yeah. in the information age. You know what I mean? Um, kids download records these days, and you know, I, I mean, it's understandable. It's a lot easier. Yeah, you know, it it takes effort to go down to the record store. You know, and it's so much easier because everyone has a fucking computer. It's, I mean, I was really, I was really pissed off about it when it all started happening. Um, and I felt betrayed and, and, uh, people stealing music and, but it just, it makes so much sense, you know, um, it's, you can't really fight, uh, something that just is the song uh, Spay on the on the record is that about Axel Ross? 
No, no, not at all. No, I'm, I'm definitely not. It's uh, it's really about um, the. Uh, it's really about a combination of um, the this current sort of youth generation and the uh, their idols, um, uh, the celebrities um, and uh, the media and its uh, infatuation with uh, celebrity. Um, well, I mean, just uh, all of them all rolled into one, really. Um, and, uh, you know, it's like, where does the problem lie? Is it, uh, does it lie in uh, the media sensationalism or does it lie in, in, in the public's appetite for it, you know? And uh, so the whole idea was, you know, just fucking spay them all, you know, um, so they don't just fucking proliferate the entire world any longer, you know? So when you um, you posted that thing on the website of uh, calling out that dude, uh, you fat Botox, uh, whatever, fuck. I mean, well, you know, the, the the reason why that happened was he, he uh, and I forget how the whole thing came about, but he had, he had that lawsuit uh, where he well, he had said some things about me um, first, and you know, it was uh, you know, I, if I was uh, I probably should have been more gracious and just left it alone, but um, uh, I retaliated and, and it, um, I guess, got out of hand. And um, and I actually ended up hearing because Matt ran into him at a club he, that he, uh, his, Matt said his, his feelings were hurt by what I said. And I, <laughs> then I felt really bad. Sorry, I don't mean to laugh, but... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, probably the fat thing. It's bummer. Um, yeah. Huh. Do you, I mean, you know, not physically, but do you see any of yourself in, in that guy? I mean, he's all... He well, you know, what I, you know what I do see is uh, the... Um, the inability to maybe control my, my temper at times. You know, I've, I've been known to sort of go on uh, rampages, uh, uh on uh um on stage uh if if something sets me off i i, I don't really have a uh a, a a great control valve you know it it's uh, when i blow a head gasket it's it's hard to hi how are you good how you doing we're ready for you all right oh, it's you. hard to um once i blow a head gasket it's hard to sort of um contain myself you know contain, I can't really I don't have that great self container right you know um and uh um so you know I I I, I see that and uh but you know ultimately to tell you the truth I think that uh you know what on on uh Early in his career, I think that he was really on to something remarkable. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> I think that, uh, from what I know of the guy, and I don't know him personally. Sure. Yeah. From what I know of him, from, just from various, obviously I, you know, I play in a band with guys that, that, you know, knew him very well for a, a period of time. 
you know, certain people um, that uh, you know be- become very successful allow outside people to manipulate them, you know, and uh, and that becomes their downfall, you know. Um, if you don't, if you are not in control in a sense of your own destiny, and you don't allow yourself to think freely um, and make your own decisions, then uh, no matter how talented you are or smart you are, um, then uh, you're going to, uh, you know, you're going to change, and you're you're going to start thinking the way other people want you to think. <clears throat> and I think it seems to me that that's sort of what happened to him. Yeah. Um, but then again, you know, we've never been introduced. But just as that's my, as far as from what I, from what I've sort of heard, that's my little take on the situation. But uh, as far as a uh, a fan of the old music and a fan, definitely, yeah, fan of what he. What he did. You had said that new metal had kind of like turned you off rock and roll almost like a few years back. Yeah, I think I don't think you're you were far from alone in that sentiment. That was a hard time to. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, you know rock and roll had lost its uh, its sexuality and its swagger, you know, and uh, um, the the uh, um, there was no melody there were no chord changes um and uh there was no there was no singing there was no blues in the music um uh it wasn't rock and roll it was you know it was all rock no roll right you now um and uh you know and i i think there should be sexuality in rock and roll rock and rolls you know is sex and and drugs and violence and everything that is wrapped up in between but I think that uh, you know I don't know I, I, I remember I saw we were touring one time with STP and um, there was uh, something on um, someone had this video or there was something on uh, uh, one of the, the stations um, that had some Think about some new metal bands and their the connection with porn and uh, and there were some guys throwing um, uh, lunch meat at right. at some uh, you know these girls' ass uh, in a dressing room and it kind of that uh, sort of just summed it all up for me and uh, and it, it already just was basically over it completely um you know especially coming from that time in the early 90s when there was such great music coming out and it really was like a little mini revolution that happened and i really believe it sort of revolutionized the way things were happening for a while there you totally. know and you know people started thinking differently and acting differently it revolutionized the the um the music industry and it, you know for a while you know, you could make uh, any kind of video you wanted and uh, any kind of record you wanted, and artists really had control. And unfortunately, it was very brief, you know. Um, 
<laughs> it wasn't cool to fucking throw lunch meat at women. No, it wasn't. It was really uncool at that yeah, point. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. It's, it seemed like everything was kind of possible for for a while. How many more Bubba Rubber albums do you think they'll be? Um, you know, I never know. Um, it, it's That's hard to say, man. You know, right now, like, uh, focusing on, like, every show just fucking offering... I fucking do every show completely give myself up a hundred percent you know I do not back down right you know if I I mean I have scars mm. all up up and down my my arms and I've you know I have my back from just falling down and blooding myself because mm. I just I I just that's what I do you know I you know, I'm going to be 40 this year. I still perform the same way I did when I was 23. Yeah. Like when I, you know, went on, you know, our first tour with STP. Um, but, you know, I would definitely, there'll be another record, you know, because by the time you're done touring, you just want to get back in the studio and, and uh, you feel like you have something new to say. You know, bottom line, you feel like you... Um, you feel like you've uh, reinterpreted all of the music uh, that you just recorded uh, every way that you uh, every way that you possibly can um, and you feel like uh, you know, telling a new story this is like the first record you made sober since Forever, or since, I mean, since ever, or since like the first couple SDP albums? Or? Um, no, I've never. I mean, you know, I've never. I I drink a little bit, but I don't do any drugs. Yeah. You know, I've never made any record completely sober. Mm. Um, but uh, uh, but I don't do any drugs. I don't do any drugs at all. I wish I could smoke weed, but I, I fucking weed is just way too hardcore for me. Mm. I've never been a... Not since I was in high school, if I fucking enjoyed weed. Hmm. If I fucking smoke weed, man, I fucking climb into a ball. Huh. It makes me think way too much, and thinking too much just gets me in trouble. Um, it seems to... It has really different... Effects on different people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I get really paranoid. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> but, uh... Shit. What was that last question? Anyway? Um. Oh, sorry. Uh, we. Oh, right. So the, you, you did this record drug free, and, and so was it? Yeah. Yeah. So the last record I did drug free was Core. Wow. Yep. So how did that? How did it? Was, did it make it harder in any way? Or was it? No. It 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 made it um, a lot easier. Um, my output level was um, enormous. It was. Uh, I just. Idea after idea after idea. Um, the problem with heroin is uh, that it's uh, well. At first, you know, it really sort of um, it. There's a lot of benefits. You know, it. Uh, I think it um, it it allows you a certain amount of objectivity at first, um, like cerebral objectivity, because it kind of distances you somewhat emotionally mm. so you're not just so overly emotional to what it is you're writing about so you can take some more chances right you know on a 
intellectual level, like artistically, kind of say, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna risk this right. and get a little bit more out there. Right. You know, um, but the problem is though, is after a while, it becomes just overly cerebral, right? Overly intellectual, mm. and just you can't. You, you lose the connection to the heart, you know, to the emotion. And uh, and that's what I found. Hmm. And it takes longer and longer and longer uh, to just paint over, um, you know, the music and uh, the lyrics and the melodies to try to grasp a hold of some sort of emotional contact to what it is that you're, you're, you're writing about. And... Hmm. Uh, and you can just stay out there in, in, in space forever and, and, uh, and write a bunch of, you know, just uh, nonlinear bullshit, you know. Yeah. Uh, but you can't really, really hunker down into what matters and what you're really feeling because you can't feel anything. It's like you have this narcotic wet blanket wrapped around your soul. What about cup? What, is it, what did that do? Uh, just makes you want more coke. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I had to do. I always had to do heroin. Um, you know, with coke, fucking do coke for like a few hours straight, and then until you're going out of your mind and home, and the fucking demons are like trying to smash through the mirror, and then after that, it's time to run down the hallway and get into the fucking bag as soon as you can. Fucking put that fucking needle in the arm and get that shit in you quick to fucking no more demons yeah you can fucking slow the fucking world back down and close up that fucking hole to the next dimension Jesus <laughs> once you open it it's uh you don't know what can come in. Can you be the same after all that? I mean, after, I mean, it, it, all those experiences must stay with you and shape you, I guess. Oh, uh, yeah, I think they probably do, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think they probably do. But, uh, you know, it's fun, funny, because the, the further you are away from it, like, the less it even sort of crosses into your mind, you know? Yeah. It, it sort of doesn't... Um, I don't really think of it all that often, um, but yeah, I'm 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 sure that it uh, definitely changes. I, I can't imagine who I would be. I wonder what I would be. I wonder like what sort of a person I would be if I never lived through those experiences. I mean, you said that you've uh, have you reconciled things with the DeLeo brothers at this point? Yeah. How did that happen? Where did that happen? Well. Um, Actually happened. Uh, the first time I ran into him was when we were recording um, Contraband. Hmm. Um, you know that was um, that was a little uncomfortable because uh, they were um, in the same studio. Oh shit! Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, we were at NRG and they were in the um, one of the rooms uh, next to us. Um, but um, and later, um, Dean um, 
you know, Dean and I used to, uh, you know, Dean and I used to be rock and roll hell on wheels together, you know. Um, we used to get loaded together a lot. and uh, <clears throat> But I was always, like, known as the guy that couldn't, you know, couldn't stop. Right. Um, I was that guy. Right. Um, I was the identified junkie, you know. Right. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, after the band broke up, um, you know, I don't want to, uh, you know, uh, I don't know what Dean says in his own interviews, and that's why I want to tell a story. But, um, you know, Dean came, in, you know, Dean did, did his own his own stuff, took care of his own stuff, and uh, he called me up one day and he apologized. He made amends to me, and and since then, you know, we've been um, a lot closer, and we kind of buried our personal hatchet, and um, uh, and then uh, you know, Robert and I, um, you know, we've uh, um, done the same. You know, we've seen each other a few times, and um, I've seen Eric uh, a few times. Uh, um, we actually all went to Eric's wedding, um, and uh, you know the whole band was together there. Um, Anyone try to get you on stage or anything at that thing? No, but um, I was tempted to go down to uh, to see um, their new band play when I was in New York. Uh, we were we were really busy. I actually really wanted to go down there, and it was um, you know. Uh, I remember one time when they were playing with Talk Show, I, I went to uh, see them play at uh, the Palladium, and they wanted me to come on stage. Um, but I, I felt sort of weird about that, you know, I felt like this was their thing, and, and uh, you know, I, I didn't want to step on the toes of their singer, you yeah. know, um, felt it would be kind of rude. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. I would feel very uncomfortable, you know, and it's going to be fucked up if... Axl Rose came to watch our show, and he came on and sang one of the a Guns N' Roses yeah. song, you know. Um, and uh, so I, you know, I'll watch. Yeah. You know. I guess they broke up that band. I sort of heard that, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what's going on um, musically with uh, with those guys now. But I'll tell you, they're amazing musicians. Yeah. They're fucking amazing musicians. I think Dean's one of the most underrated guitar players of, you know, the last, uh, you know, of the whole last uh, decade and a half. You know, I think he's amazing. Is it different to, to write songs with Velvet Revolver compared to Stone Temple Pilots? I mean, what, what's the... Well... The chords they come are different, but I mean... Chords they come... You know, I'll tell you, um, the thing... The one difference is... Um, uh, STP loved being in the studio. You know, uh, there was this element of STP that was m much more like the Beatles. I mean, no band's like the Beatles. Sure. It, it's like, it's this blasphemy for any band to really, I think, to mention themselves in the same breath as the Beatles. But where the band loved being in the studio and, and uh, you know, kind of um, it just tripping out and exploring things and... Um, really taking risks and um uh you know from one record to the next and just you know uh and i think left to our own devices we would have went anywhere you know yeah. it was brendan would say oh, like harness us and like yeah. you know 
hold on, you know. <laughs> um, now, Velvet Revolver, uh, you know, really is kind of a um, nuts and bolts rock and roll band. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of because what who the players are, you know, it's like what you see is what you get, you know. Um, we're not trying to fool you with right. trickery, you know. Um, and uh, um, it's like blues-based rock and roll, and uh, and we're just gonna kind of come out and like you know shove it down your throat, and and that's that's really what it's about. Um, both bands are completely different. Um, these guys really like to jam, you know, and they love to get in the room and they love to play. SDP hated rehearsing. Mm. We would go before a world tour, a you know three month U.S. arena tour. We would show up two days before. Yeah, go over our 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 set, you know, and you know get on a plane and go to our first gig. Buses would be waiting, and we'd roll. Yeah, that's how we did things. Do you, you know? like the fact that these guys like jamming, or does it get a little? I, I don't like to rehearse that much. You right. know, if I if we're learning new songs from the new record, right. then it you right. got to do it. You know, right? One of my biggest influences of all time, and my favorite singers and my favorite band are the Doors. There's not one harmony on right. on any Doors song right. anywhere. You know, um, that's a good point. You know, it's one voice, and right. it just one point of view, you know, vocally, it's like, uh, um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just blues. Um, so, you know, I, I like that. Uh, I like that a lot. Um, and that's a that's a fine art, you know. And it's also improvisational. Improvisation is is a fucking fine art. I yeah. mean, but it's a moment thing, you know. It's like you got to be in the moment <clears throat> to be able to pull that off. You know, you can't learn. You can't really learn blues, and you know. And um, it's like sometimes live will go off. On, that's what this band will do. That you know, yeah. go off on a little blues thing, and. Um, and just kind of vamp out on it, and sometimes you, you you know it's like if you really feel like you can pull it off, it just just wail into it, and but it takes some fucking cojones to be able to step out out there and and to and to do it because uh, there are some times when you kind of take that step out there, and and it starts to not happen. Yeah. You know, and it's risky. You know. <laughs> yeah. That's but that's what the whole jamming thing is about um, but when it pays off and when it's good it's good you mentioned like mini dramas with Slash and then you also said somewhere else that like you guys had to have a bunch of fights and figure and, and figure out what how to be a band I mean what what are the points of contention if you're having mini dramas like what's the well I mean the problem is is that everyone wants to be right you know um, and uh, and that you know everyone uh wants to be um there's a lot of big egos you know um you know everyone thinks that they have the um 
the the um, the history and the lineage to um, to be you know a shock hauler and uh, and the problem is is when everyone does that then yeah. we really get nowhere yeah you know um, and things get really confusing and really fucking just fucking bumbled and jumbled really fast and uh, there's a lot of different interpretations and uh, and um, a whole lot of misinformation um, uh, that happens and um It was actually easier on the first record because uh, um, it kind of um, uh, um, but with the success of the first record um, I think that um, <clears throat> you know that everyone and the band start, uh, has thought, you know, has started to think that, you know, I want to make sure I get my voice heard, you know, and that, uh, but the problem is, is you, the thing that really works is when we have a band meeting and everyone just decides things together, you know, yeah. and everyone gets their voice heard in that, but uh, when, when we're not communicating like that and uh, everyone tries to just make decisions, it, uh, it doesn't so much work out. Mm. all that well um, you know uh, so um, there's usually a sort of a, a um, uh, there's a way that things have worked um, uh, and um, and there's a way that things don't sort of work um, right but uh, So how do you get past that? What's that? How do you how do, how do you get past all that? Well, you just uh, um, you uh, go with the fucking the bumps and the bruises until uh, you know until um, you learn the hard way and people learn the hard way. I mean, you're kind of like the, you know, not only were three of the guys in a previous band together, but the fourth knew the other guys longer. I mean, does that make you sort of the... Uh, no, uh, see, the thing is, is I kind of, I'm kind of the one that sort of uh, comes up with a lot of the cr the creative ideas. And, uh, and that's kind of like who I've always been. You know, the, you know, ideas for um, video concepts and... Um, you know, record cover ideas and, uh, and, you know, um, marketing ideas and just that creative sort of, uh, idea guy. Um, and, uh, um, and then I'm not that guy that's gonna go over, pour over budgets. Right. I've never been that guy. Right. You know, I'm like the guy that's the conceptual guy. Right. You know, and when things sort of, um, uh, rock that balance, then it kind of yeah the whole boat kind of gets rocked. <laughs> um, 
it sounded like. But tell me what was that? What's that medallion around your neck or the the uh, the silver one? Uh, oh, which one? This? Uh, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, this is Mary, the Virgin. Hmm. <clears throat> and uh, this is uh, Archangel Michael. Are you? Uh, are you? Do you go to church? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm Catholic. Yeah. And you said you you go and, and do confession. Right? Um, uh, as little as possible. <laughs> this has been today's Rolling Stone Music Now. We'll be back next week here on Sirius XM's volume, channel 106. And in the meantime, you can download us as a podcast, subscribe to us as a podcast, give us some great reviews as a podcast, especially on iTunes. And we will see you next week. I'm Brian Hyatt, and this has been Rolling Stone Music Now. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.